Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, September 20th, 2019. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. Ashley, there's a lot of little bits of news. Mm -hmm. uh, Nothing really huge. But before we get to that, the biggest news of all is that James is starting to figure out some of the incentives for our Patreon. Getting it down. Um, yeah, we were talking about that in our Broadway Radio Slack yesterday, yes. which uh, our I guess our Broadway Radio Slack is potentially an incentive. If anybody cares about that, we'll actually have to start using it a little bit more. Uh, it's the uh, dirty but, secrets that we don't share. Yeah, there's no secrets. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, I guess that's, the, that's the secret. That's the secret. There's no secrets. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're getting, getting close on those. If you are already a Patreon contributor, James put up a... Uh, message yesterday to let people know what are some things that we're thinking about wanted everybody's feedback so you can uh contribute and see that list and uh we'll go from there as we get more information on those and james gets all that figured out we will let you know all right so let's get into this uh rapid fire rigmarole of news and we start off because yesterday while the tony awards might still be just shy of nine months away It's time to put some dates on your calendar, because yesterday the American Theatre Wing confirmed that the 2020 Tony Awards will air on CBS on Sunday, June 7th. This season's eligibility cutoff will be Thursday, April 23rd, and the nominations will be announced on Tuesday, April 28th. Now, actually, this is news only in the loosest of senses, because these were dates that, I mean, I don't think everyone, like, had anyone in had like inside track, but like everyone sure. assumed these are the dates every year, uh, pretty close. And you can always tell when the producers start scheduling around certain dates. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody was after four twenty three, mm-hmm. so everybody kind of knew what was happening. Yeah, but exactly. I know that this announcement made a number of our mutual journalist friends very nervous for some <sighs> reason on the Twitter. It sounds like you might be one of those nervous yeah. journalists as well, and. Just to be clear, I don't think it made them nervous because of their added professional responsibilities. Mm. I think it was more for uh, the nerves that they will have leading up to the awards. Sure. Are you on the professional side or the competition side that makes you nervous? I'm just nauseous, generally. (laughs) We just finished the last Tonys, it feels like. It's it's far too soon. I'm still tired from this past awards season. But, you know, I, the competition side of it will certainly be fun. I'm less on the nervous side of the competition side because I think there are so many, for once, there are so many interesting close call categories, and I would prefer close call categories over runaway categories any year. So I'm not so nervous about that. I'm just, I just have to emotionally prepare for another award season, even though it's, as you said, nine months away. A lot can happen in nine months. It's a sickening, it's like a pregnancy. It's very, I'm nauseous already. Yeah. I mean, that's usually nine full months. We're a little bit short of nine months, but, uh, you know, whatever. Um, You know, I, we've talked about this, I think, on the show before, and I've talked about it offline as well. Mm -hmm. This season is an embarrassment of riches, as far as I'm concerned. I know we're only a couple months in, but the quality of shows and productions and talent that we are going to see in this season and the variety mm-hmm. i think yeah, we is know. we know everything is, going in so we know what the awards the award season and the nominations are potentially going to look like and yeah yeah it's as you said an embarrassment of riches yeah so i think because it's going to be so stacked in terms of quality mm-hmm. at least i'm thinking so um I, I hope that that relieves some people's nervousness about whether or not their favorites will win 
um, because I think there's just going to be a lot of good stuff that I hope gets recognized. So I'm going to need another vacation. I'm going back to Maine. (laughs) Well, one of the shows that will be potentially looking to pick up some Tony Awards is one that we got some news about yesterday, and it was on a very quick turnaround because yesterday it was announced that Moulin Rouge, the musical, will launch a national tour in November of 2020. The show will tech and premiere in New Orleans before having a 10-week run in Chicago at the Nederlander Theater there. Obviously, further stops, dates, and cast will be announced later. Now, actually, while I understand the announcement coming less than two months after the show opened, because Mm -hmm. A, the show's been in development for like 10 years, so they had plans for this. And then B, because of that weird late summer opening, you know, to get into the season of, you know, the next fall season, you have to kind of start early. But um, I understand all that. But I'm really, really super interested to see how they tour this show, which is so much about the immersive, opulent environment that it creates in the theater. It's such a good touring show in theory because you're taking songs people already know on the road, but still making it as theatrical as possible. But I'm definitely interested to see how they're going to do their sets, if they intend to strip it down at all, which I can't imagine they would considering... The environment is as much of a character as anything. People are going to see Moulin Rouge because... I mean, I know I went to see Moulin Rouge because I wanted to see that set in person. So I don't know how they're going to stage it. I'm assuming when they do the further stops, they aren't going to be consecutive. Like, they're not going to be jam-packed. With a 10-week run in Chicago, I imagine they're going to be long-run tour stops. I think it'll be like a like I don't see any reason why this is going to be a Hamilton type of thing where they're doing like months or two months the at a time. The only reason I could see them doing that is because of the nature of the set. But the only problem is, is there's got to be enough ticketing demand for that. Sure, and yeah. Hamilton's the really the only one that can do that. I mean, I could see you know a couple you know two or three weekers or a month sure, even here yeah. or there in no, big cities. But I don't see extended runs. Yeah, sure. I would imagine that that you're going to get a, a month at most in the big cities, like you already do, and a lot of times in like. Chicago and mm-hmm. Toronto and Los Angeles maybe will be longer, but I imagine that a lot of the stops, especially in you know after it launches, are going to be weekly stops. Have Monday to to move and go from there. I also don't think that they're going to be able to figure out a way to do can can seats unless they put them on stage because of the unique configurations mm-hmm. of so many of these touring houses. So I think that might be something that they're got, they're either going to have to lose or adapt and maybe put some can can seats on the stage. Um, you know, when I saw Hello Dolly on tour with Betty Buckley, they were able to do a passerole, but it wasn't actually a passerole. It was a faux passerole. So I don't know how they would do a faux can-can seats, but uh, it's something that'll be interesting to see when they eventually either release the design or release pictures or when people actually get to start seeing it in November of 2020, what she decide, what they decide to, to do, because that is so much a part of that show. How did they do the last, not that it's entirely similar, but the last Cabaret National Tour? Because a lot of those were, they weren't can-can seats, obviously, but they were still club seating. Um, I did not see this most recent tour. I saw the tour with Leah Thompson back in the 90s at some point. And it was just done on stage. It was just done in a proscenium. So I'm not sure if it's the same or not, but uh, yeah. Anyway, all right, moving on, Ashley. This is one that came in just shortly before we started recording, and I'm going to read from a tweet that has now been deleted. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
So, um, let me see if I can pull this up. Hidden, this com- hidden breaking news. I love it. Yeah, it, well, deleted and Hidden, and deleted, purged from life. Yeah. All right. So, we, not you and I, actually, this was before you when it was uh, me and James. There was a national tour of the Tony Award nominated musical Xanadu that actually had already started going out that was starring a pair of RuPaul's Drag Race uh, stars Jinx Monsoon and Ginger Minj. They were playing Calliope and uh, Mel Pomine. Um, I don't know what that word is. Greek, kind of, whatever. Um, anyway, so uh, unfortunately, the tour posted this tweet and it said, quote, we regret to announce that Xanadu, the tour, has been put on hold, a.k.a. canceled. Uh, ticket holders should contact local venue or original point of purchase for a full refund. In the that was a graphic in the message itself. The tweet said, quote, in order to in order to get a successful tour on the road, numerous factors must align. Unfortunately, in this case, we were unable to garner enough support in certain markets, which means certain markets weren't buying tickets. Mm -hmm. So that's really disappointing. I feel like I mean, they were going to pretty small, non-theatrical stops. That's what I was wondering if you're having two drag queens go through the Midwest. Is well, what, and I don't that, know where they went. I don't know where they're going, like in terms of tour stuffs, but I just know that the venues were not traditional theatrical venues. Uh-huh. They were more clubs okay. and smaller things, which is fine. But like, sure. they're, if they're playing those smaller venues, there are certainly plenty of uh, people, you know, to fill a couple hundred seats in every city that are RuPaul's Drag Race fans. Easily. I feel like this might been might have been a failure, maybe in, in terms of producing and marketing, because I'm certainly marketing because this is yeah. the first night I'm hearing about it. Yeah, and if you're not hearing about this, so that's what, a crazy one. Someone who works in the Venn diagram of these two very distinct fields. Yeah, I should have heard of a Xanadu starring Ginger Minj and Jinx Monsoon, but I didn't. Yeah. So nope. where's the Appar- marketing? Yeah, apparently you weren't the only one. I guess so. All right, let's run through some other news here, Ashley. Real quick, yesterday it was announced that the dramatic doubleheader Seawall of Life will go the route of Angels in America and will record an audio version of the show for streaming on Audible. Tom Sturridge and Jake Gyllenhaal will record their dual monologues by Simon Stevens and Nick Payne, respectively. The audio version will be available for streaming a few months after recording, so hopefully by the end of the year or in early 2020. The Audible Originals program has been stepping up its game, both theater-wise and cabaret-wise. I know they they recorded Alan Cummings' last cabaret for later distribution, and then they've got other work with Manetta Lane and their Emerging Playwrights Mm -hmm. Fund. So love what Audible Originals is doing. And of course, as I've spoken about many times, another way to make theater more accessible. Yeah, I, I am all for it. So I'm I'm on board. I do wonder though how the experience has changed listening to these things that oh, were sure. written sure. that were not written for this way. Like I'm fine. I think narrative dramas are great. I listen to narrative podcasts, but I wonder if because the words were not written for audible mm. or audio purposes, if that changes something, especially for something like angels which is so visual that, and so that makes less sense to me than seawall life does, sure, for totally sure. totally uh, i don't have audible but i have I do. amazon prime so I, mean, I should probably get that i think it's an easy add-on yeah. but uh, so yeah so we'll see but anyway next up yesterday waterwell and broadway advocacy advocacy coalition uh, announced the launch of the flores exhibits a series of short videos that amplify the voices of children held in detention facilities at the U.S.-Mexico border. 
the first group of videos are now live at www.flores.exhibits.org and form the core of an integrated strategy to affect change in our immigration system through narrative-driven advocacy. Individuals involved in the first group of videos include Elizabeth Rodriguez, Sakina Jaffrey, Kathleen Chalfant, David Schwimmer, Melina Weissman, Arian Moyad, and more. Ashley, I've long been a fan of what Water, Waterwell does, mm-hmm. um, and we talked about it before. They did the uh, the reading of like the immigration court uh, things earlier this mm-hmm. year. Uh, so I think this is another wonderful and very, very deserving project. And same with the Broadway Advocacy Coalition, what they've done over the last few years. I was watching some of these videos before we had started recording, and they're just really beautiful and heartbreaking. Yeah. Okay, next up, yesterday we learned that the play Mistrial, which is capital M, lowercase s, trial, all one word, by Depp Curland will have its New York debut at New World Stages later this year. This show was actually written in 2002, but feels very, very prescient uh, about the interactions of men and women in a lot of ways here in 2019. The show will begin performances in November four, uh, on November 14th, again at New World Stages Off-Broadway. If you want to know more about the show, we'll have a link in the show notes. And finally, in this section, Ashley, on Thursday, we learned that the aforementioned Kathleen Chalfont will play real-life historical figure Mabel Loomis Todd in the world premiere of A Woman of the World, which will run at 59E59 from October 24th through November 17th. The one woman in play is by Rebecca Gilman and features an all-female creative team. Now in her 70s and living on Hog Island in Maine, your people, uh, the accomplished journalist and naturalist regales us with tales of her storied life, spilling secrets and revealing the true nature of her relationship with one of America's most celebrated poets. That's Emily Dickinson, BT dubs. Um, she, uh, Mabel Loomis Todd was uh, Dickinson's posthumous editor. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, actually, this sounds really, really great. Yeah. Um, and I might have to add this to my list uh, for when I'm in town because Kathleen Chalfant, one woman play, and someone who's described as a journalist and naturalist regales in us Maine. with her stories <laughs> in Maine. Like, it sounds pretty fantastic. In Maine, Emily Dickinson, journalist, naturalist. It covers all my bases. I don't know about yeah. you. <laughs> naturalist, I can do without. You'll just have to deal with yeah. it. <laughs> uh, all right, let's close up the show with a pair of recommendations. The first is the exclusive video look at the King's Speech at the Chicago Shakespeare Theater, starring Harry Hayden Patton as King George VI. Very cool. It's just kind of B-roll stuff, but looks very mm-hmm. good. I mean, this yeah, very I much really looks like a show it. that could end up on the Broadway, perhaps back in the Beaumont, where Harry Hayden Patton played mm-hmm. another person dealing with language and is going to play a person who I assume has trouble with language when he gets high on LSD. Ah, yes. And then finally... An article came out from the GQ, Gentleman's Quarterly, um, and it was called, quote, The Real Life Diet of Aaron Tveit, who went mostly plant-based for Moulin Rouge. This is part of their ongoing series, Real Life Diet. Um, Mm -hmm. Tveit talks about his eating habits. um, It talks about uh, his gym workout for Moulin Rouge. And unfortunately for many, many fans, both male and female, he talks about his girlfriend. Oh, tragic. Sorry about that. I want to know the real-life diet of the ensemble dancers of Moulin Rouge, though. Yeah, there's there's one or two of them I would like to know. <laughs> Stop.
stop. Anyway, okay, that's all we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Ashley, where can people find you? Look at you. You care this time. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, This Is Ashley. All right, and we care so much. You can find us yes. both over at patreon.com slash Radio. Hopefully we will have some announcements on incentives and perks coming up in the next few days. Um, really exciting stuff. Don't forget to tune into this week on Broadway on mm-hmm. Sunday. I'm not sure who's joining James this week, but I'm sure it will be a wonderful, glorious time of theatrical conversation. Isn't it always? Yeah. Have a great Friday, everybody, and we will talk to you on Monday. Yeah.